This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Swings here and he drives one deep in the center. Puig is racing back, still going back. He looks up, it's gone! Over the center field wall for Hunter Pence. Pence will touch them all and score them all. A grand slam for Hunter Pence. It's not easy when it's tough. That's when you find out what you're made of. You get so much Brisby in your ears if you want it. If you want Brisby, oh gosh, you get it. Anybody want coffee? I'm making coffee. Anybody want? Yes! 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 I'm a frequent coffee drinker. I'm part of the club. I have a card. You're listening to The Baseball Barista with Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode nine of The Baseball Barista with Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Hunter, how are you doing today? Are you ready to talk some baseball? We have a great show prepared today, Grant. I am doing good. Great to see you. I've been burning it. I'm in the red right now. We had the Pineapple Labs pop up, made a lot of money for pitching for baseball and softball, equipment to the kids, and I am pumped to talk about, man, there's so much that's happened since our last show. All right. Real quick, just a logistical question. How many cups of coffee are you on by the time we're recording? I definitely brewed the pot like first thing in the morning, but I've had kind of a tornado morning and uh, it's been really cool. We have a lot of things going on, but I'm in the back office with, uh, I found this, a new microphone that I think I like better actually. I just listened to it. (laughs) So I might have to make a shift to this new microphone, but uh, I'm only on cup one. By the end, I'm going to be talking so fast and so lit because I have the whole pot ready and brewed and ripe and warm and ready to talk baseball with my good friend, Grant Brisby. It's about cup four with me, about 10 o'clock. We're recording 10 o'clock in the morning. So this is cup four. I actually have to make a half decaf, a half regular, a half calf, uh, because otherwise I'll just start twitching and fidgeting live on air. So uh, we're both properly caffeinated. We have a a show today where we're going to talk about glue guys. We're going to talk about players on some of the division leaders, some of the teams doing well that are maybe a little bit more meaningful to that clubhouse, to that roster than perhaps their stats would indicate, or maybe they're the best player on the team and also that person. But we're going to start real quick because off air, you were talking about how you perceive a baseball season now as someone who's just watching the games as opposed to when you were an active player. And I was fascinating. So talk a little bit about this. How is time different for you now that you aren't playing the games? Yeah, Grant, it's been, uh, it is wild. And I thought that this would be a really interesting perspective and something to share. It's like the experience of time and how it's like completely shifted. And like I was going over like, you know, the MLB and like all the things that are going on. Cause this weekend was all Giants and Dodgers here in San Francisco. And I was like really into that. And then I was like, all right, let's get a broader perspective of the league and like what's going on. And so as I was looking, I was like, holy cow, so much has shifted from like three, four days ago, like really closely. And then like, all of a sudden, like the Rays have a 11 game win streak. I look at the East Division and like the Braves are all of a sudden one game back and they were like, it seemed like they were way out of there. And so I was just like, man, time is absolutely flying. Like it, like these games and all this stuff and these streaks and the, and, and the, the flows of the teams are happening so fast. But as a player, 
every single day, like you put your whole off season work in and you like just grind and you work out and every workout is painful and it's all planned out and you do everything for spring training and you slowly get your body ready, whatever the case may be. And like every single day, you put up a whole game plan. You put in all this mental work. You time all of your meals. You do like everything is lined up for that game and you either win or you lose. You are either a success and it is great in your songs and dancing or you're a failure. You failed. You lost. You're going backwards. And there's so much energy put into that whole game and every single pitch, like so much energy. You can't even imagine like a massive effort from everyone. And uh, it just feels like when you're in those losses, like and like when you're riding those wins, time goes so slow and you seem so far away. But like I've watched the Braves come from nowhere and like the Cubs are all of a sudden like now kind of battling for the central. So it's just like this stuff is happening so fast. So as a fan, it seems so lighthearted and easy and it's so relaxing. I want to hear your thoughts about that. Like as being a fan for so long, does it always seem to kind of just be like just doing its thing? Is this how it always is as a fan? So if you're hyper-focused on your team, if you are watching your local team, it's very similar to what you're describing, where every game feels like the end of the world. If you're losing an extra inning heartbreaker, you're thinking about it when you wake up. Like, for example, the Giants-Dodgers series. Giants fans were going into that series going, okay, this is, you know, the, the Giants have arrived. This is their statement series. This is where they're going to prove to the world that they're, they're not frauds, that they belong. And they got swept and they looked bad doing it and they got blown out in in some of these games and Giants fans will take that and they will dwell on it and then there's a day off on Monday and they'll still think about it all throughout Monday but when it comes to all of baseball if you're trying to follow all of baseball forget about it yeah it's like you look up and the Rays have won 11 in a row whoa where I thought the didn't they trade Blake Snell I thought they were doing the re no wait oh that sort of stuff just pops up you know all of a sudden you've got players you've never heard of and they're having all-star caliber seasons or I remember when Jacob deGrom was a rookie all of a sudden like he's rookie of the year and he's like 26 it's like whoa who is this guy I wrote like a full article about the rookie of the year candidates in August in the National League and I didn't even mention his name once. And all of a sudden it's like, no, he's, he's like the best pitch in the world. You know, that's how national baseball is for a fan. It just, it comes at you quick. Who is this long haired guy throwing fuzz balls as hard as he can? He's a wild, <laughs> crazy man. And now he's cut his hair and he's super professional. And like, and granted, he, he was professional even when he had the long hair, but I thought he was like the wild man, but he is like pros, pros, pro. But I want to talk also, Grant, and you're right, you know, because it does feel like, Man, that was the Giants' opportunity to make a statement. And, man, was that, like, dagger on Sunday pretty rough. Like, you know, just watching, like, they were the, – the Dodgers are hot. They got, like, six or seven wins in a row. The Padres are hot. And I had fun looking for, like, the glue guys. And I'm going to have some interesting thoughts on, like, the glue guy because there's – to me, a glue guy is more the leader that brings everyone together. But I think there's also a, the impact player. So I'm not going to use this as glue guy because I don't know all of these guys personally. But I'm going to look at, like – who is like on the field? Like you got to have this guy on the field, and like, and it can't just be one. You can't just like lean on just one player. But I think this is going to be super fun to go through the different rosters and like pinpoint like, dang, this is like huge. This is really cool. Got to have this guy, and I am very excited to talk about a couple of them. But I want to say in the playoffs, the few times that I had deep runs, one month of playoff baseball experience from my perspective felt like a year's worth of time had gone by. 
because I was just so locked in and focused and aware, like deeply aware in every moment of everything I was doing. Every thought mattered. Every like every little thing was so intensified that like one month literally felt like a year. So I'll, I'm going to leave it at that. And it does kind of feel like that with the Giants Dodgers. Like it's been so long since that last game. Like, can we just get another game so we can feel good again? Let me build off that just a little bit, because I've always wondered this about baseball where, okay, so say you're an NBA player, right? And your matchup is Steph Curry. Steph Curry's coming in and you know your job is going to be to guard him. So you're doing the prep work. You're watching the film. You're saying, okay, he's coming down the court. I got here's here's how they set their screens. Here's how they're doing this. It happens. Boom. It happens in the first 30 seconds. Boom. It happens again in the first minute. He's coming down a court for the third time in a minute and a half. When you're a baseball player and you're like, I got to prepare for Clayton Kershaw. You're sitting around. You get there the first half hour. You get like one minute, two minutes against him. And then the second half hour, you get maybe another minute against him. You know what I mean? It's not the same thing. You put all this preparation into what amounts to maybe like five, six minutes of actually being at the plate against this guy. It just seems like so much preparation for just seconds. It is that difficult or is that easier somehow? I got to go deeper on this. So for instance, <laughs> yeah, let's go with like who you're setting up for. This is what you're doing because it's not even minutes. It's like, it's like instance that you're not even like fully necessarily conscious, like as a hitter, what you're preparing for when you're watching this is you're watching the timing. You're watching the location that he's throwing pitches. You're watching the speed, the angle, how he's getting people out, how people are getting hits. So you're trying to calculate how you're going to have the best approach to succeed off of this pitcher. So you want to see who's hit him and where have they hit him and why have they hit them there. And, and usually I'm only watching right-handed batters versus whoever. So like, for instance, Kershaw, I'm just going to guess that like he's getting, he's throwing tons of sliders as, and I've already talked about Kershaw. So let's do another, let's do another pitcher. Let's do Wainwright. All right, let's say Wainwright. So Wainwright's going to work a ton of cutters away. You're going to get a cutter away and it's going to be strike the ball. It's going to be very nibbly and he's going to have backdoor sinker. He's going to have big curveball, right? If he's coming in, it's going to be in off to get you off and he wants to get you out away. And he wants to get you out with like a backdoor sinker that's like ball to strike and he wants to get you on a cutter that looks like a strike and comes for a ball. So it's like as soon as you like take that cutter, he's going to throw the backdoor sinker. And then as soon as you like start leaning out there, he's going to buzz you up and in. And then as soon as you like take that, then he gives you the curveball that looks like the buzz up and in but comes in for a strike, right? So you got to like be like, all right, where do I think I can beat Wainwright? I personally am going to go, he's throwing me cutters and sliders. So I am setting up my whole day like I'm looking for a slider off the plate. I'm setting the tee up off the plate and I'm standing like I'm not looking away and I'm just boom, hitting that thing about 10, 15, 20 times. Now let's get the, the flip angle. So I get the L screen, I get my flipper. I'm like, all right, I want the angle of a cutter or a slider is going to be this direction. You're not flipping me straight on. You're flipping me kind of the angle the ball's moving. And I'm just setting my barrel where I don't even have to think. Like I could just, I, as soon as I get that pitch, I drive that pitch. I know how I want to hit it. I know where I want to hit that ball because Imagine where their defense is going to be. You can hit a ball really good and it's right at the defender. Let's try to make my swing where it's going to hit the ball where the defender isn't when I get my pitch. So I'm setting my whole day up. What pitch do I want to get and how do I want to hit it? And I'm setting my swing. So now once I get in the box, I have already imagined. I've already set my swing. I know where the pitch I want to be is going to be. And I know where my swing needs to be and where the ball's supposed to go. So like maybe I even want to pull an outside pitch for a homer. I have how do I hit this for damage and how do I hit this for a single? So I have both swings. And then let's say he's not throwing me that pitch in one of the other pitches. Now I have to readjust. So that's sort of the thing. And like let's say I'm pinch hitting. I'm going through like what pitchers are available 
who threw yesterday, who's most likely coming in today, and what pitch are they going to throw that I think I can punish? So I would sit there and just imagine sliders or imagine the fastball that they throw, and I would just like take my barrel through where it needs to be to hit that. And you have to do it. You have to anticipate and do it ahead of time. You can't be reacting to these pitchers because they're too good. That's tremendous stuff, and it's really illuminating. Now, let me give you a scenario. So you've done all this prep work. You've decided how you're going to attack them. You're thinking movement. You're thinking outside. You've got a plan. All right, let me walk you through just a hypothetical scenario. First pitch, just off the plate, umpire calls it a strike, not a strike. You're going, okay. Second pitch, exactly where you think it's going to be, you foul it back to the screen. Now it's 0-2. Third pitch, something happens and you're out. It's elapsed time, two minutes. You feel like you had two things at least go against you. How are you resetting for the next at bat? Are you able to shed that? Are you still kind of just humming through that in between innings? Like, how does that work? Every one of those things you're calculating and adjusting. So like, even if I'm like 100% on one certain pitch and let's say he gets it strike one, I didn't swing at it. Now I'm looking at, I'm going back to like what I watched of him throw. Like what does he throw after he throws that? What is that pitch setting up? I personally had like my swing set up for each path of the ball by the end of my career. So like, okay, he threw that. Like, where does he want to go for a strike here? Does he want to get a chase? So like, what pitch am I hunting on this next pitch? Like you said, he throws another pitch that I really wanted. I take my good swing and I foul it off. All right, I got my swing off. Like I didn't hit it. You're never going to hit it every time. And then boom, like, so we got a bad call. Just missed my pitch. Boom, he gets me out. Now I'm like, okay, he got me out there. Uh, Let's watch the rest of the game. Let's root on my guys and let's start calculating what we think Yachty and Wainwright are going to want to throw me my next at bat. Where's he going to go? Where was he comfortable? How good was my foul ball? Because they're watching how good you fouled it off. Were you on time with it? Did I look like I was really hunting the slider? Because now maybe I'm hunting a fastball in. Now maybe I think, all right, he got me out of way. He's probably going to like not go to it again. Because the Cardinals realized that if you got me out one way young in my career, that I would start, I would hunt that pitch and punish it. So then they would pitch me dynamically and they would start throwing me and uh, they would never go back to that. And I had to realize that to realize that once they got me out one way, look another way. Now, let me ask you another question. If you could take your brain, Hunter Pence's brain, smush it down into a 22 or 23 year old Hunter Pence's body, if you're combining the youthful physicality and athleticism of a younger Hunter Pence with the experience in the brain, like, do you always think about that? Because I always think about, like, even if I were, you know, if I could put my brain in a 22-year-old's body, like, oh, I would have done this differently, that differently. Like, how good would could you have been with all that experience in uploaded into your 22-year-old brain? I have no idea. I did never think of that. Like, I just was, like, trying to be the best I could at every in every moment. And who knows, to be honest, like... A lot of times we would always joke, Darren Erstead would always say this, oh, to be young again and to not think. Because like sometimes the <laughs> not thinking go. just gets it done. It's like you either need to be crazy smart to be a hitter or, or really not smart at all and just like just super <laughs> relaxed. Because it is a, you have to like you have to be in a no think zone. And I would like I would be setting myself up with all of this thinking so that when I got in the box that I could just like let go and like like an empty mind like because a thinking mind is a heavy bat and like it's happening so fast the reactions it's like think of like ping pong when you're slamming it as hard as you can we've all had like uh, or you've seen like people playing really fast ping pong there's no way you're thinking you're just feeling so it's like a feeling when you're up there and it's happening so quick and you're just training your body with like over speed like I would train with like really fast wiffle balls I would train with really fast tennis balls I would train with a really fast machine like I'd watch Pablo We'd have the machine pump in like 90, 98 and you just like slowly get closer and closer and you'll be like half the distance to the pitcher's mouth, like letting this and the machine could throw sinker cutter or riser and Pablo would just be a boom, just bat the ball, just bat 
at the ball so that you can slow yourself down and like you can just your body just reacts to where the ball is way faster than it's happening at the plate. That was a, a real epiphany that I had once when I was profiling a younger hitter who had a lot of success in the minor leagues. I'm not going to name his name, but one of the comments I got from a coach was he's too smart. He thinks too much. You know, he's up there. He's thinking too much. And he's, he's thinking about what we're telling him. He's, he's got all these books in his backpack and it's weighing him down. And I thought about that. And I was like, Oh man, I, I never thought about thinking too much or being too smart as being sometimes, I mean, not all the time. Cause like you said, you can be a prodigy and be good at it, but just sometimes that that's not the best thing for a hitter. Yeah, there's a really great book about this that actually Jimmy Rollins told me to get. And he said that he read that because I was I was reading at the time this book called uh, The Book of Five Rings. It was written by the greatest samurai ever to like fight. And he after he retired from sword fighting, so he was like in 62 duels to the death. His name was Miyamoto Musashi. And he had this whole thing that like he was like against all of the sword fighting techniques and what they taught. He was like, you can't as soon as you have a technique, you've lost like you learn the principles and then they no longer apply to you because when you think you're dead. So he's like fixation is the key to death. Fluidity is the key to life. And he talked about emptiness of the mind and you have to be calm and cool within even amidst violent chaos is what he said. You have to remain calm within even amidst violent chaos. And I thought I would always think of like a wild stadium and how it was like kind of like a violent chaos going on in this intense like there's pitchers throwing everything at you but you have to be very calm within and empty of the mind to trust so like he would go around dueling all these people and that was like his whole thing well then Jerry was like that really reminds me of like self one and self two from a book called the inner game of tennis and he was like I read that when I won my MVP and it was an offensive lineman who told me about it and he was like what tennis and so this book talks about it's this tennis teacher and he talks about how when he would tell someone like, hey, really get into your legs or something. And he would watch them as soon as he said that, like their legs would not be able to do it the way. And they were doing it more correctly before. And like he found like how that you can't talk to your like self too, I guess. is, is And that's like what you want to get in. Self one is like you're playing a sport and you're like, dang it, Hunter. Like, what are you doing, Hunter? Like, who's talking to who? There's two entities here when you're talking to yourself, right? And self one is this egoic mind is what he called it that like is perfectionist and is attacking. And self two is like the you that's just like that's doing it. And it only hears you best through imagery. And that's why like you would want to like instead of like I want to like drive this slider the other way, like take my elbow here, do that, like think it through, read the book. What you would do is you would imagine like what it feels like, how it happens, because it happens. Your body, it's, it's magnificent how athletic and how many things are happening at once. So like your body responds to you imagining and feeling it and then you just let go and like it'll just do it. And it happens in this no think zone, like similar to like the ping pong ball, like you can't explain how you're hitting it as hard as you can and like reacting to like these balls coming really fast when you get like into that rhythm and flow. And like you even heard LeBron. I remember seeing LeBron. It was a small clip of his like best run in the playoffs. He said, I felt nothing. I don't know how to explain it. And I wish I could bring back and bottle up nothing, but I felt nothing. I did not know before you started talking that I really desperately wanted to be in Jimmy Rollins' book club, but it sounds like he's he's giving you some good tips. And I read an article about this book called Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman in the New York Times earlier this year, and it was specifically how this was a book that was going through baseball and the in the baseball circles. Now coaches and and front office execs were were passing this book around, and it also deals with that idea of two states of mind, you know. Kind kind of 
conscious where you are preparing, where you're thinking things through, there's logical, there's steps. And, and then there's just sort of that, that unconscious, like, no, ah, you know, it's just, you're doing it. You're processing immediately because that's what evolution has, has told us to do. And so it's, it's funny that you have to sort of separate that. Like there's two different parts of your brain and you have to, you have to segment them. It's super interesting. And I never read that book, but uh, I'm wondering if this is the one, cause someone was telling me about this one book where like, you like train your swing like extraordinarily slow. And, and like, I think of like some of the books that you read about, like, you know, the young karate master or whatever, and he goes with the old teacher and like, they do every punch like extraordinarily slow. I know that no one can really see this, but I'm punching <laughs> extraordinarily slow towards the camera at you or like taking your swing. And so that you feel like your body is learning. There's a thing called Feldenkrais. It's extraordinarily healing. And I'm like, just, it's like really helping my hip. But it's like literally moving your body extraordinarily slow and then like doing it in reverse too. So that like you like train all of the muscle memory exactly how you want to get your body to do something. I wish I had done this and I want to read that book and I don't know if it has anything to do with it. But some really fascinating stuff that might make young hitters and young players even better. And I can imagine, especially for pitching, like feeling all of that and like hyper focusing on every movement and, and maximizing extension so that you're telling your brain and i don't know if we would call it muscle memory but just getting a feel because your body's learning as you slowly move and like having that create your habit because it's tough to like change a habit that you have i had to do all sorts of weird things to change the way i pushed off of my back foot when i switched to the new swing because my whole life i kind of like took my back foot up and like I pushed off of the toe and you're supposed to actually dig in off your heel and the whole front side inside of that of that foot. So like you drive off of that hole inside of the foot and it rides all the way up the groin. I think that's most likely why I pulled my groin with the Rangers is because I was just driving that so hard and I'd never done it. But is that what Think Fast, Think Slow was? Thinking fast and slow, it's more just like uh, about the brain and the human experience. And basically, I'm about uh, halfway through it. And it's throwing all these uh, scientific experiments out there that are just the most counterintuitive, like your brain, how it tricks you, how it skips steps to just arrive at a conclusion because it has no time when you're out there dodging tigers and poisonous mushrooms. Like you don't have time to sit there and go, well, you know, what is the nature of a tiger? Like, no, you're like, you know, you're building these no. uh, yeah. shortcuts to be like, and sometimes it'll take you to completely incorrect conclusions. And so a lot of it is just how the brain works and how it can trick you and stuff like that. It's a fascinating book, but it's also, it's for whatever reason, it's making the circles in front offices and, and uh, managers are giving it to players and stuff like that. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. I will also segue right now to this idea of a glue guy, of just you know, a player who maybe he gets the credit as being the all-star player on a team. It doesn't have to be the 25th or 26th man on a roster, but maybe someone you're not thinking of. And it's good to talk to you about it because I think you got a reputation, especially in 2012 as, you know, okay, this guy is important for what the Giants are doing. He is in there. They're down 0-2 against the Reds. Look at what this guy is doing. That's important. It doesn't always have to be that fiery, but who are some glue guys that are coming to mind for you? You, when you're looking around the league, who stands out as like, this guy is super important to the, to the fabric of a team? Honestly, it's like to answer that, like it's going to be tough because I was looking and preparing more for this, like looking kind of at like who's getting it done on the field. You can't tell who the glue guy is unless you're there. 
or you hear it from someone, right? Like you have to play with them. And I can tell you about the glue guys that I was with, you know, like the Javi Lopez, the Tim Hudson, the great leaders, the Jeremy Affelts, the Ryan Vogel songs, like just tremendous, tremendous leaders, you know, obviously Buster Posey and just like people that are humble, that are stars that do it the right way. But like, you can't know that unless you're in there or you hear it from someone or you see it. Like for instance, and I love talking glue guys, Tory Hunter, wherever he went would make the playoffs. And whenever he left, they stopped making the playoffs. And I remember even like one year, he did, he, his last year, he didn't make the playoffs. He went back to the Twins and they were like not expected to do anything that year. And they were like in the hunt until like the last day of the season. They went from like nobody knew who anyone was on that team. And he went there and they like legit like we're about to be a playoff contender was super cool to watch and i know dozier had a good year that year but so when i think of blue guys i think of like him i watched like punto nick punto everywhere he went was always like and you hear about people talking about how he like just held a standard and like did a great thing from being a bench guy like ryan terrio was an amazing one for us so anyway i know i'm going off on like old timey players but these were the ones that i kind of like studied and so like watching now i got to kind of like be in the circle a little more That's good. I'm glad that you say that because I had a note here where it's like, look, here's the thing. You don't know who is picking their toes in the middle of the clubhouse and like going like, hey, you know what your problem is? And like the guy who maybe he's hitting or pitching well, but he rubs you the wrong way or he's not a glue guy. And I'm sitting here looking at stats on baseball reference going, oh, that that seems like a glue guy. It has to be like a mindset, right? It has to be like you have to be there and experience it. And sometimes there are players who rub you the wrong way, but get it done on the field. And sometimes there are players you get it done on the field and in the clubhouse is that is that a correct way to put it that could be possible there's sometimes people that you know and 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 who knows the the exact formula for winning we're all looking for that and who you know who knows like a lot of times like that's the fun of watching the teams that win is you just see them catch that spirit or catch that vibe and ride that wind it's a passion thing so but there are sometimes players that you see that are great players and they don't seem to you know really bring more out of their their teammates or care what their teammates do or even, you know, maybe maybe be mean to their teammates. But not necessarily even being mean to a teammate doesn't necessarily mean that you're a bad teammate. Like if I think of like the Christian Leitner of Duke who was like super hard and, and like tough on all of his teammates, but he did it to like make them tough in the in the game. Like he wanted to hold a standard, right? So it, it is a fascinating thing to really study as far as that's concerned. Who do you think are the glue guys just from watching from the outside? I brought up Wainwright. He was on my mind when I when I switched pitchers from Kershaw because he's one of the guys I had listed. But the one that jumped out at me right away was Tim Anderson on the White Sox. He plays with a passion. He plays with fire. He's a vocal leader. He knows he's expected to be a leader. He, the responsibilities of the job came to him early. He was the face of a franchise that was in the middle of a nasty rebuild. They traded Chris Sale, Jose Quintana. He's a first-round pick. He struggled after signing an extension. He was on a team that lost 100 games. And now that the White Sox are good, it seems like as Tim Anderson goes, so go the White Sox. Like, if he's hitting the way he can hit, if he's playing the way he can play with the fire, the White Sox are going to be doing good things. And that's a really, really hyper-talented team. But for me, like, I look at that roster and I go, ah, Tim Anderson, man, that is, that's the guy on the White Sox roster. I look at the White Sox and I look at Lance Lynn, one five one ERA, forty seven point two innings pitched, five and one. Carlos Rodon, five and one, one point two seven ERA. Dylan Cease, two and one with a three one eight. Liam Hendricks, uh, two five zero. Jose Ruiz, two seven nine ERA. Michael Kopech, 
1.7 ERA. And yeah, Tim is, is definitely saying things and he's been he's been playing well for a long time. The White Sox haven't won a playoff series yet, but they got the pitching. He's an incredible hitter and I love his mentality. His mentality is I'm the best shortstop in the world. He opened up this season and it actually reminded me of a young Jimmy Rollins because I think it was in 2007 or 8 that the Phillies had never won the division. And Rollins said, we're the best team in this division. We're the team to beat. And everyone blew up about that, and they backed it up. And, like, Tim Anderson made that statement. We're the best team in the league. So I love his mentality for sure. They had the pitching to back it up for sure. But also, you're a Minator, baby. 936 <laughs> OPS. You get a sneaky guy that you don't expect to be good. And, like, I watched him hit a ball above his head the other day. It's fun stuff. They got Yasmani Grandal behind home plate. This guy, your catcher has to have done it. He's done it. He's been there. He's done it. He's made the playoffs. Incredible, incredible work behind the plate. Jose Abreu, that dude is consistent. He was the MVP last year. Uh, he doesn't speak much. He, he does it with his with his bat and with his at-bats, and he drives in 100-some every year. Uh, so I think they have a whole squad, and Tim Anderson is the voice of it. So, yeah, maybe he's the glue, but they are a good team. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network. You're there to look for jobs. You're there to post jobs. And how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. They are, as of this recording, they're in first place. They're 27 and 19. I look at them as a team that like has a higher ceiling than this. And that sounds bonkers to some people, but I'm looking at, you know, Andrew Vaughn has that top prospect uh, ceiling that he can still get to. Nick Madrigal, same thing. You have some players who are doing well, but you still have guys like uh, Lucas Giolito, who you know that there's more in there. You have guys, they're not clicking on all cylinders, and yet they're like really, really doing well and they're in first place. I think that they are a good team, a very good team, a first place team. I think they have the potential to be like a super team, a team that just all of a sudden like poof, there's dust and they're gone in a good way, like gone in a good way. Yeah, like they're just taking off and they're going to get better. And and I would want to have watched uh, one of their games live just to kind of get like a little bit of feel for these numbers because like an 820 OPS is outstanding, but Jose Abreu is better than that. And like I'm just make, want to make sure he's healthy. If I like watch his swing, is it is he hitting balls hard right at people? You know, it's like sometimes the stats and in this early, I got to remember because like as a fan, 
it feels like we're like so deep into the season, but as a player, it's still pretty young in the season. And like these guys are going to go through fluctuations and like, you know, water will find its level. It might get too high. It might get too low, but it'll eventually get right back to it. It'll find its level. And I think they're the cream of the crop that will rise to the top. And I think he's that guy that he's going to keep climbing. Tim Anderson, even, I think, I know he's hitting 296 and his average is there, but the OPS is 765. And I think he's better than that. I know he had it. I know he had an injury and that's just because I believe in him that much. You know, that's not like, Hey, you're having a, I mean, he's hitting 296, but I, I know that he's a, a tremendously good hitter. Like you said, they have more upside and their pitching is tremendous. All right, give me one of your glue guys. Uh, pick someone that you had in mind when the topic was presented to you. Who popped up first in your brain? I'll say Paul Goldschmidt. And I can say that because I've heard of people that went over there and were like super impressed with him. And like a lot of times young players will 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 be like afraid of like someone that's had that kind of success and, you know, afraid to even get in the batting cage. It's like, whoa, that's Paul Goldschmidt. And I've heard stories of Paul just being like, come on, no, we're on the same team. Get in here. Let's go. Like, what are you thinking? How, what's your plan today? You know, like just making that comfortable. We're all pulling on the same rope. Like it's not get out of my way, get out of my cage. I'm doing my thing. It's like, hey, how can we get better? Like to me, that's a glue guy is inclusive is uh, no one's greater than the other. Like we all got to do this. And I think that you have to have that kind of leadership from the guys that are being paid a ton of money and are, you know, putting up numbers to like, put the team first sort of, sort of speak, you know, obviously you look at like a, like a, you know, Aaron judge. I don't, I've never seen him. I've never, but the way he talks, the way he carries himself, the way he takes the, you know, he takes responsibilities. He's extra hard on himself. I have a feeling that he is one of those guys that doesn't take himself too seriously, no matter how good he is. And he is really good. So like I see, I see Aaron judge as a really good glue guy and, and they seem to have, you know, the Brett Gardner, who's like really gritty, I like him being over there. Paul Goldschmidt's the first one that comes to mind when I just like kind of take a brief look at like the whole picture. Honestly, I think Francisco Lindor, from what I've seen of him on the field and how he handles things and and will is willing to address and he does everything right. He brings energy. He brings a smile. He brings a body language. One of the things I I talk about a lot as a player is like our body language when we give up a lead or our body language when we get down, like don't get your head down or, or like like Berkman would always talk about like a really punishing, like late in the game home run and you just like take your hat off like the hat flippers and you're just, but you can't do that. You can't break body language and Lindor carries himself like a champion all the time. I love how Jose Ramirez of the Indians actually speaking of how he walks to the plate and carries the swagger and like, and how he walks on at third base. So like these kinds of things, the way you carry yourself leaks into everyone else and I wasn't a master at it I had to like consciously work at it because it was easy for me to get bad body language and get down on myself or whatever so I love watching the people with tremendous body language you know Scherzer Scherzer's like holds a standard just from watching how how impactful he is and how he works with everyone so these are some people that jump out at me right off the Jose Abreu is another one The body language thing is fascinating to me because as someone on the outside who's been writing about the Giants for the past decade, there is this divide among Giants fans when it comes to Brandon Belt. Brandon Belt, who is one of the best first basemen in San Francisco Giants history. I mean, obviously, you've got McCovey, you've got Cepeda, you've got Will Clark. And then it's Brandon Belt right after that. And he's been a very good Giant for a very long time. 
but there has always been this, uh, you know, this hypercritical dissection of his body language. When he takes a called strike three and he's going back to the bench, people say, oh, his shoulders are down. He's got slumpy shoulders, stuff like that. And I've always written that off. I've always just said, I think that's just how the dude carries him. Like, that's just how the dude's built. Like, I'm not going to read into slumpy shoulders. What in the heck is that? Like, is all body language created equal or is there just like a certain... Like when a guy's got it, he's got it. And if he doesn't have it, well, don't read too much into that. Like I said, it's it's different for everyone. And and Belt is a tremendously good player. And he's like, he's tremendously there. He's got a different rhythm. He's not like the upfront, like Buster Posey, like leader. He's kind of like, he's doing his thing. He actually makes you feel more comfortable because he's so good at making fun of himself. And he's so lighthearted. And he's so, he's like a very sweet person. So like having him around always makes you more cheerful and like he's shuffling his shoulders because he's like disappointed that he got out. You know, it's not that he doesn't care because he does care. Like I wouldn't say like Belt is like the leader of the charge. Like you watch like Brandon Crawford command it at shortstop, right? Like Brandon Crawford, his work ethic and intensity on defense, it's absolutely inspiring. Belt does his thing and he's going to be there. He's like your buddy. He's like your friend that's like always like, you know, if times are down, he's like, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. You know, and like, and he's, and he's, it's, it's, he just like keeps you cheerful. Crawford's like the, the commander on the defense and like he is in the right spot. He is focused. Longoria, commander, crazy smart, like letting you know which way to move in the outfield with his glove, like watching the pitches. Uh, I hope that doesn't get too far out there because, you know, but I don't think anyone can see because he does it behind his back, but like invested in every pitch. Crawford puts in the work every day. And like when he makes an error, he might blow up harder than he does when like he gets out in a big situation. Like, Like offense is like what like you usually get paid on. And so like most people care about their offense. Brandon, loses his mind on every air and he is so intense and hardworking on his defense and it shows i mean he's won the gold gloves but like it lifts you up you know so like we all have different strengths in ways that like the whole rhythm works you know not everyone is going to be buster posey or brandon crawford and we all have our different part but belt is like a great friend on the times you're tired or you're down belt has a way of coming up to you hey man i I want you to know, like, you know, you're a good friend and you're doing awesome and you're going to get out of this. He's kind of like that cheer you up guy, but he's not like the warrior that's coming in. Like he's going to like, he's going to like, you think he's asleep and then just wow, pow, just get you. <laughs> he's always stuck out to me as someone who you can watch for 10 years and have no idea how funny he is. Like how, you know, quickly. Super he- funny. He's just got that that rapier wit that he won't say anything for what feels like a month. And then all of a sudden there's that one comment that's perfectly timed and just deadpan and like, oh, yeah, that's right. This guy's always humming behind the scenes. Yeah. If you can ever get him to go to dinner, it's like pure comedy. He is tremendously funny when he comes out of his shell. And like half the time he's half asleep at the field. And I don't know why. Like he's always like just sitting there with the Red Bull barefoot. Like he's just the guy that's just like doesn't care you know it has a fun loves his kids loves his family comes to hit homers won't swing at a ball and uh plays great defense oh it it has been fun to watch him this year i'll tell you that because it seems like with giants fans there's half of the the population that is just thinking oh gosh you know this can't be his last year come on let's get him back let's get him back and then there's always the the fans that are like ah okay that era was that era let's get on to the new era the giants have money to spend let's get carlos correa or trevor story something like that I don't think you can watch him this year without going like, gosh, I just want this to, to last forever. Like, I want another five years of this. I, I can't get enough of this. 
Crawford is is just like he lulls you to sleep with how good he is because you get used to this just amazing defense and like I love that he's hitting the homers now and he's going to continue to hit homers because I know what he's learned and I know how good of a hitter he is and like he was like the hardest luck hitter for his first seven years maybe even eight years as far as like guy whose hand-eye coordination who hit the ball like he always hit that perfect line drive right at the left fielder like he would just crush a ball like exit below perfect perfect trajectory perfect line drive line out to the the left fielder all the time and like the very difficult he beat the pitcher he did everything right and he was out like more than anyone and he would always say i'm the most unlucky player and he was I don't know if he like self-prophesied it or what, but now that he's doing the swing angle thing, he's going to start getting tons of lucky hits. I watched him uh, in the game against the Rangers where I was I was doing the pre and post. I saw him get that like really nice flare over the third baseman's head for a double, and like that's when you know your swing is right. When you're like when your misses, you're like getting jammed and it just like bloops right in there. That's because your path is right, and to hit the ball that way is very difficult. And then when you get it with that same path, it's going to be double homer damage. So like his path and his swing and the adjustments that he's made, and he's getting comfortable with it. He's going to continue to hit, and he has that great defense. It's incredible. Now thinking of glue guys and where I where I just like skidded off to. I was looking at a team that's like starting to play a little better, and we still got a long ways to go. And this is a young kid that I've just like like I just saw one thing he did, and like your eyes just immediately go to him. He's electric. He's fun to watch. But Jazz Chisholm. Jazz Chisholm sparks you when you watch him play. You, you feel like joy and passion and creativity. You know, talk to me. What do you got, Grant? When you started describing, I had no idea where you were going to go. Like you start, you're building it up, you're building it up. And then you start talking about it, the energy and, and you start just, and I'm like, he's talking about jazz. He's talking about jazz Chisholm. And, what you know, I just. too, by the way. What a name. Oh, and yeah. I, and it's it just watching him play. He's like this tiny guy with massive pop, shortstop. Ooh. You know, when you were watching uh, Zach Gallen do his thing for the Diamondbacks and you were thinking, how in the heck could the Marlins give up Zach Gallen? Because Zach Gallen is just he's nasty. He's he's throwing stuff. He's got command. He's got Batmus and stuff in your thing. How could the Marlins trade him? And then you see Jazz Chisholm come up. And it's like, ah, OK. Yeah, OK. OK. So this might be one of those rare trades where. You look back in 20 years and you're thinking, okay, that worked out really well for both teams. At the same time, if you're maybe undoing that trade, I think I would rather want Jazz Chisholm, like if I'm the Diamondbacks, because he's so electric. He brings something that uh, he's hitting the ball so hard and he's got an energy. He's got that speed. I mean, he's 23, so it's not like he's a teenager, but he gives me those Tatis vibes or he just does everything well with an energy. Yeah, and I mean, Tatis like has like, like he's like next level, but he does have the Tatis like style and swagger vibes for sure. Man, it's it's fun to watch him. Like the smoothness of his swing is like it's like Griffey, you know, like just that like one of the sweetest left-handed swings you will see. So he's an exciting young one to to watch. We didn't get to hit up all of these teams and all of this stuff, but man, this this conversation went all <laughs> all sorts of routes I did not expect. Well, that's that's what we do here. That's what we do here on the Athletic Baseball Show, the Baseball Barista. But I do think we have to end it. I think otherwise we'll go to another rabbit hole and we'll find ourselves like two <laughs> hours in. So this has been Until episode... Until next week, it doesn't end. It doesn't end. We're just going to continue in next week. Until the next episode. That is episode nine of the Baseball Barista with Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week. And it, we'll talk baseball. You can't uh, preview it more than that. We're just going to talk baseball. It's what we do here. 
Great work, Grant. Great show, Grant. <laughs> Crushed it. You're the best. And you're the best viewers, listeners. You're the best out there. <laughs> we got the best listeners. We got the best Grant Brisby host of the show. And you got the wacky wild hunter pence. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Thank you all. Friends. Thank you, friends. Thank you, friends. That's a much better outro. That's a much better outro. All right. Until next week, y'all. <laughs> I love coffee! <laughs>